Welcome to the Jay and Pav podcast experience. Please grab a coffee, set down your marking, and embark on this playful, fun, yet genuine listening experience on education. Listening to Che Cheney and Pav Wanda, also known as Jim Guy and Wonder Woman. Welcome to the staff room, a half hour to engage in some meaningful conversation about some of the topics we think are pertinent and relevant to our day to day teaching experience. The Staff Room Podcast episodes are hosted by Voice Ed Radio Weekly on Tuesday mornings. And on Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern, we host The Drive, an educational morning radio show filled with great chatter and amazing music. Check out The Staff Room on the School Rubric website, where our origin story and weekly articles are posted, and our podcast can also be heard. We are also on the On Podcast Media Network and are connected to an amazing group of educators who have come together to form the Education Never Dies team. You can find us all on Twitter. Check out our link tree on our Twitter handle, at Staff Podcast, for more information about us. All right, so let's dive right into episode 39 of the Staff Room Podcast. And today we are going to take a look at what action looks like and how do we get to a point of, um, of, of getting to the action point in our classrooms. This past week, we have had lots of really rich conversation about um, our emotions, our feelings uh, initiated from the murder of George Floyd, and a lot of Black Lives Matter conversations uh, that have happened, starting with the Drive radio show on Voice Ed Radio, and then moving on to our podcast episode and so many conversations that we've had in between. And where do we go from here? We want to absolutely take this back into our classrooms. And so today we're going to talk about how do we get to, you know, creating an action point in our classrooms with our students. So before I get into that, though, I am going to introduce ourselves, as this is what we do at the start of every Staff Room Podcast episode. My name is Pav, and I make up half of the hosting team of the Staff Room Podcast. Sometimes I go by the name of hashtag Wonder Woman, and I'm here with my co-host, Che Cheney, who usually introduces himself. I'm the Staff Room Podcast that's it. That's it. That's it. If you if you can get that reference, like get away. Like just it's just a reflection of your age. And I got another thing I want to talk about. Don't ever refer to me as just Che Cheney ever again. Who's Che Cheney? Who's Che Cheney? This, I got. I got a, I've I've worked hard to get a variety of different nicknames. I give you the opportunity to bring those nicknames to the table. Why would I mention them? You mention them. This is this is the shtick. Hi, get I'm, with it. Hi, I'm Che Cheney. Come on. Get with it, Cheney. Che Hurricane Cheney or Jim Guy. 
A. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't do that. I mean, those of us who are listening to the podcast right now, it's like, well, Pav never does that. Pav always says, and this is my co-host, Che, and he's going to introduce himself. This is scripted. No, no <laughs> your, your half is scripted. <laughs> Clever. Uh, but that, that was a reference to something. It is a reference to an old, late 80s movie. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't, don't look at me like I just made something up because I didn't have something made up. Was it Star Wars? Hold on, does that... Was it uh, like... I'm Luke. I'm your father. Was it like no? I no. Am pause. The pause. Pause. Okay. Only one guy does impressions on this show. <laughs> Sorry. They don't even like have to that be, was not an impression. They by don't the way. even have to be good impressions. But we're not getting to this. Oh, we just back and forth do movie quotes and tones and voices and no, no, that's not what we do. Sorry. Um, it has been a powerful week. Powerful two weeks of learning and podcasting and doing our radio show and diving deep into conversations. And of course, all those platforms have just led to really deep, meaningful, impactful conversations, sort of behind the scenes, the quiet work. Um, and and you touched upon it brilliantly, Pav. And, and not that we're necessarily at the point of action, but the world is changing. And when we talk about what's going on in the United States, of course, it impacts Canada and as Canadians, we watch and um, we talk about anti-racist education. We are really in tune with what's going on in the States. And the United States has made some real pivot shifts in the last week. Like last week, we talked about reflection and we were really thinking and, and pondering and we're still doing those things. But within that time, things have happened. Things that have never really historically happened. We talk about unprecedented times often when we talk about remote learning because they are unprecedented in what we've done. And when we talk about um, anti-racist education or uh, systemic racism, those aren't unprecedented. Those have been going on all the time. But some of the actions in society in the last couple of days are unprecedented. The Confederate flag, for one, which is often, con- you know, if you got into the debate, if you listen to it, you know, it's it's the rebellious. It's, it's It symbolizes rebellion and taking a stand. But that's not what it represents to everyone. But that debate's over now. Mm-hmm. I hope it's over. I hope it's mm-hmm. over because NASCAR uh, absolutely forbid. They said, nope, we're done. You cannot have that emblem around. It's been blocked out. And NASCAR is a huge organization. When we talk about systemic racism. It's not about chasing down the, the guy down the street yelling racist things. We do want to chase him down, but we can always really contend with it and deal with it because it's so obvious. But when an organization so embedded in American culture can say, you know what, we're, we're done. The Confederate flag no longer is something we can ponder and think and reflect on it's just it's over mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. and that's a big telling moment that our society is shifting we're able to make really drastic impacts when our businesses and our organizations that are embedded in society can act quickly and swiftly and i think we all know being in the education business nothing often ever gets done swiftly we often need endless amounts of and, and sometimes that's a good thing. Endless amounts of research and, and, and committees and all kinds of forums to figure out stuff out. But we've reached a tipping point where certain indiscretions in our society will not be tolerated. Where let's say three years ago, they would have been tolerated. Colin Kaepernick, like this was all a big debate. Yes or no? Had he done the right thing? What's going on? What does this say? We had no debate to get rid of the Confederate flag this week. The Confederate flag is out of NASCAR, and that's a really historic, that is unprecedented how our big businesses, uh, our big organizations, our society will address uh, and correctly address systemic issues where we were okay with this flag, this symbol, and now it's not okay, and on a snap of a finger. And so as we talk about our teaching, we start to see 
that impact can really be made. Uh, action can really lead to result. And not just on an anecdotal level, not just on a person-by-person level, but on an orga- organizational level, an institution, which would have so many rules and regulations and bureaucracy and red tape to fight through, just said, nope, off, done. There's so many important things that need to be addressed right here. Um, you know, if I can offer... I was about to cut off and say, we're now the Staff Room Podcast NASCAR podcast NASCAR series. Is officially... I've yeah. never actually watched a NASCAR race. <laughs> I've watched a bunch of, bunch of people go in circles. I that's, just go on the highway. That's cars, right? NASCARs. Vroom, vroom. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, I think the key word that I want to take out of all of the amazing stuff that you just said right there was tipping point. Um, I don't know if it was, you know, possibly the coronavirus and us being home during COVID-19 that was really the thing that pushed us over the top or, you know, pushed us past that tipping point. If you imagine a seesaw, um, you know, just kind of hovering over that center of gravity and or that center point of that of that uh, seesaw and just tipping us right over. Um, this has been a real time for us to be able to reflect on many of the things that happen in our society and, and take action. I mean, there is so much stuff that has happened in, in this last couple of weeks and this last couple of, uh, months that have allowed us to be able to reflect on everything that happens. And maybe we have a little bit more time to be able to take action or a little bit more, um, time to become more aware of the things that are happening in our society. Um, either way, we're going to take these small wins. We're going to take them for what they're worth. And we're going to take them back into our classrooms because they are very important things. Um, sometimes, sometimes we get stuck in that cycle. We get stuck in that cycle of, okay, things are fine. Things are fine the way that they are moving, but then something big happens and it pushes people to want to make a change. And I think that that is something definitely that has happened in the last two weeks. There was a big event that happened. It was, you know, the last straw for a lot of people. And we pushed together as a community and we had the opportunity to have that dialogue with one another, which is really what pushed us further into wanting to take action. And so, yes, the removal of the Confederate flag and this morning when we talked about the Boston Red Sox and addressing, you know, use of derogatory language that had become very commonplace amongst the uh, the ranks of the in- entire team and the organization. And people had become very complacent to being to hearing you know, derogatory language, uh, commonplace. It was owning it is that there were players that talked about it and it was sort of under just, uh, just below the surface where it was talked about, but the organization, the systemic organization wouldn't address it. Uh, just let it sit in that gray area. And, uh, not that this is a sports show, but I'm a gym guy, eh? but you know, sometimes sports in these sort of periphery areas really highlight how society is changing and the Boston Red Sox organization, sorry, Pavs, I cut you off That's there. It's okay. I'm going to jump back in in a minute. No, <laughs> but the Boston Red Sox stepped in and they, their organization said, yes, this has been going on. 
We believe you. We are going to address it. For years and years and years, had not, and if you weren't totally aware of it, Tory Hunter had placed in his contract, he couldn't be traded to Boston. And the reason was that he believed the Boston fans, the Boston community, were there were parts of it that were racist towards him, using derogatory terms. He didn't want to go there. And the organization, and I don't want to pick solely in the Boston Red Sox, I'm sure in the sporting community this happens in many places, but in this particular organization, or in this particular example, the, the context was it wasn't being addressed. And it was sort of like, there's a gray area. Well, is it happening? Is it not happening? But the organization of the Boston Red Sox have said, yes, we believe you, this is happening, we will correct it. The same with NASCAR, the organization is making changes and statements, and these are good signs that people are really listening, and not only are they listening, they are willing to take immediate action. I think what it boils down to is, uh, you know, sports and sporting teams and sporting leagues they are an institution. And we, as teachers, we also belong to an institution. And, you know, a lot of the things that happen within uh, the sporting community echo what happen in our educational community as well. And so, you know, there are a lot of th- commonalities that I find. You know, the use of the N-word is, is, you know, it's rampant in many different institutions. And, and we're talking about social institutions as well. And, you know, we all know that the use of the word is rampant. And um, I think that sometimes we only choose to address the use of derogatory terms when somebody brings attention to it. And this is, um, I would say, very commonplace in an educational situation. You know, we, we all as teachers, as educators, are aware that our students are using the word. We are aware that derogatory terms are commonplace on the playground. And, uh, you know, likely when we get to a little bit of the older grades, but, but not necessarily. And, and if there are older grades, I mean, we are in a K to eight school. If the older grades are using the terms, then the younger grades are hearing it and then finding it okay to be able to use it as well. And we only, you know, a choose to address it when somebody brings it to our attention or somebody is offended by it and it comes across to us. And I think that that is something that is starting to change slowly and slowly now that it's not like, oh, I heard it and I was offended by it. Or somebody came to me and said that they were offended by something that they heard another person say, and therefore I am going to address it. That's not necessarily the case anymore. These are conversations that we need to be having all the time. These are the small changes that we can start making in our classrooms right away so that we don't have to address them only when somebody brings them to our attention. I go in uh, simple terms, because that's how Jim Guy understands things, is that I don't need a middleman to identify that I need to take action. I need to be outraged because I know what's going on, or I need to take a stand because I anticipate it's going Mm -hmm. on. And I need to act because I don't want to make sure we don't get to that point where you're right. We often were so reactionary. We wait for someone to be offended to take action. We need to take our action proactively and we need to take our action uh, intentionally. So there's no, there's no middleman of information. I'm not waiting for someone to tell me something's going on to act. The action becomes proactive. I need to be really intentional beforehand, anticipating this is going on and addressing it and making sure everyone knows it's utterly unacceptable. And then it's unacceptable 
to me to take action. I'm not waiting for someone to, I don't want to be an advocate for someone per se. I don't want someone to have mm-hmm. to speak up for me to mm-hmm. then say, I'm advocating on so-and-so's behalf. Even that in the sense is a sense of privilege that it doesn't really offend me. I act because someone else is offended. We should all be offended and take immediate action. And I wrote down here on my little sketch notes here as we're going, immediacy. When I think of my students and I think of these incidents we reflected on, I as a teacher, I'm 45 years old. I've seen incidents that have had impact on society. And then I start to reflect that maybe my students that are 14 don't have a real life practical example that they can say, this happened and this changed immediately. And all of a sudden, um, as I talked about on the radio this morning, this is a gold nugget. Um, I can bring to my students, look what just happened this week. We had these atrocities happen. We've been having these protests. And instead of now a week later wondering, well, nothing's going to happen, we've actually seen something happen, something on a historic level in regards to those two examples I've given out. You can expand it beyond if you want to talk about other sports, but I'll just, I'll just keep it to those. We can demonstrate to our students the immediacy of the impact we can have when we can take action. And sometimes as, you know, the old, the old 45-year-old white guy that's got a history degree, sometimes I might be neglectful in realizing that our students can't directly connect a specific incident to say, this happened, this person spoke out, and I saw immediate change. And so as a teacher, I'm thinking, what I'm seeing in the world today gives me something I can bring right back to my class, what my students might bring right back to me is that we can demonstrate your voice matters, being outraged matters, taking action matters, not standing up for atrocities matters, because we can have immediate impacts, not just solely on the people around us, but we can impact systems. We can impact infrastructure. They will listen. And that's what the Boston Red Sox examples say to that. We're listening. We believe you. Yeah, it's powerful. It's powerful. And we've seen instances like this, uh, you know, in the past uh, where people have stood out, stood up to things that they believe in, um, in, in reaction to negative things that have happened. And, uh, and, and we start to see those changes. Sometimes, you know, it's better to start proactively. And, and, and as you were talking about, you know, that proactive step that we take as educators in our classrooms, that takes a lot of work. To be proactive takes a lot of work. Yes, we have to be intentional as teachers. It takes planning. It takes lots of time to be able to sit down and say, okay, you know, I want to make my classroom one of social justice. And I want to be able to uh, lead all of my lessons through that, through that perspective of being a socially, you know, something, somebody who is considering all of these uh, issues, social issues that are happening in our society, and to be able to lead our curriculum through those. It takes a lot of planning to be able to do that. But it starts with a lot of simplicity. It starts, it starts with building trust with your students, essentially, because your students have grown up and, and, you know, as you get into middle school years, which both of us are middle school teachers, students have seen year upon year teachers who have the best intentions and then things that, you know, kind of fall to the wayside and not to the fault of the teachers. Sometimes it's, you know, it's events in society that help to guide our teaching. And hopefully there is enough of teachers, enough teachers who have, felt empowered and impacted by recent events to be able to say, yes, I want to be more intentional about social justice issues in my classroom. And 
students need to be able to see that year after year after year, you know, not just the 180 days that you are in the classroom with that teacher, but moving on to the next, next teacher, knowing that this is a common theme in what we are doing in our rooms. So building that trust is key. So starting on the day one, when those students enter your classroom, you know, talking about things that are relevant to them in, in their personal lives, getting to know them one-on-one, what matters to you? Tell me about your, your home life. Tell me about your culture. Tell me about your name. Tell me about things that you take pride in, that you should be taking pride in because they are part of your identity and celebrating all of those things. That's how you build trust with your students to know that you care about who they are as a person and the beliefs that you have and that you all have things that you believe in and you all have things that, that are different from one another, but can definitely connect you all as one in a classroom. And then that is a really great starting point to be able to have these safe conversations in your classrooms, to be able to discuss these things proactively. You bring up so many good points. It has my mind thinking, which is a great thing, which may, maybe means I don't know what to say next. <laughs> but that's a good thing because if I know what to say immediately, it means I sort of got caught on a word and had my pre-programmed response ready. And it makes me think on a couple of things of this action. So the incidents we referenced really shows the immediacy as a, an analogy. It's like I hit the home run. Mm-hmm. I got the big score. I, I, I made a stand and I got immediate results. But... And not but as in like but, but but as in, but there's more to it. And that if we only rely on those home run moments, we can get fixated on trying to hit more and more home runs. And that means we strike out more and more often. And when you talked about the, you didn't say the word grind, but building your space to do the the anti-racist, the inclusive education, really building that safe space, that space where you're going to advocate and everyone's going to be an advocate for um that anti-racist uh, inclusive space is that it does take a lot of hard work and it's a lot of the simple things, but it's a lot of things you need to be intentional with. The, the removal of the Confederate flag is a home run. It's a symbol. The, the, the gesture is a symbol that we can make an impact. But if we fixate on the idea that if we just take one single stand, we're going to make massive impact, it can be one of those, uh, it can get you down because you won't always make those immediate impact. You won't always see that immediate result. And anti-racist education and inclusivity is long work. It's tough work. And it made me think about, you know, what's our role? What's the action we can take? We have a radio show. We have our podcast. Part of our um, role, I don't even want to say role, is to make sure we participate, make sure we we take advantage of this platform to connect and, and voice our opinions but this this isn't the important work. This is sort of like the home run work. Oh, we wrote, we did a podcast on this episode, blah, blah, blah. That's great that we did the podcast. It was important. But you know where the real important work is? When we go to our class tomorrow, when we go to our class later today, the remote learning, when we talk about all these issues that maybe isn't necessarily out in the open. It's not a radio show. It's not a podcast. It's just us doing our teaching. And we might not necessarily in our class tomorrow have a moment that's a home run moment where we immediately change the world, but we're on that path. We're guiding or we're being guided by our students. We're on the right path. And this systemic change, it's great to have a real gold nugget to show our students. But on the other flip side of that is you have to demonstrate to students, but you can't just solely operate 
on the idea that we're going to make this sort of home run moment with everything we do. There's a real grind to making sure our school is a space where you don't necessarily hear those derogatory terms in the schoolyard at recess or at lunch. There's no big celebration for that. But that's that's the most important work for us as teachers with our kids. And so when you talked about that, those are one of the things that came to my mind is that, is that we celebrate these home run moments and they're so valuable and we and we give them as nuggets back to our classroom and we want to say this is the type of impact we can have but we also want to come from the other side and say but also having long-term sustainable impact doesn't necessarily mean it's a home run moment and so when I think of our podcast or our radio show we feel really good about the content we're delivering we feel really good about participating we feel really good about the feedback that guides us and supports our learning but is this the real work? Is this the critical work? No, our critical work's in the classroom and, and in, in the grind with our kids daily, daily, daily. So you said so many things, and I had to think for a second because it's contradictory, but it's not contradictory because it's it's contradictory. It's contradictory because we always want linear progress with everything, mm-hmm. but linear doesn't really exist anywhere. Everything is a perfect mess, and, and, it, and it's a big circle, and everything intertwines, and sometimes it connects, and sometimes it doesn't. So we love to have a moment like the Confederate flag removal of NASCAR because it gives us a real nugget, it gives us a real focal point. But we also want to realize that that's not how we actually combat anti-racist education. That's not how we do inclusive. Well, it's part of it. But the real grind is that that idea you gave at the beginning. When it's lunchtime and kids are floating around and playing recess for an hour, we got to make sure that no one's using derogatory terms and, and, and not only that we have a culture where it's not even something people think to use and there's no celebration for that work, but that's the important work. That's, that's what we're doing and that's where we have to be at our best is in our classroom with our students. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's not policing. We're not after the policing. We don't want to be policing our students out on the playground. I think what we need to do is be educating them on the history behind it, but also making it relevant to them. Because yeah, you're teaching them the history about something and they're just like, whatever, you're just giving me a lesson. How are you making this relevant to me? We make it relevant by teaching them the pain that comes with it or that, you know, talking about how much pain comes with all of these systemic issues that we have around us because students as well as adults have become immune to it. They have become complacent. You know, we have become so used to the systemic racism that it doesn't affect us. It's so ingrained in our society, in our cultures. And we're talking about many different cultures, not the white culture, but every other culture. Remember that, you know, uh, most of the immigrants that exist in Canada and the United States right now were brought here on the, on the, on the um, platform of merit. They were not brought here in the same way We've been, you know, many of the immigrants that we have in North America are, are here because of, you know, being sought after and they are already elevated. So we almost put our, you know, non-black people of color on a pedestal as compared to the, to the black society in North America. And so we have to be talking about these things because they're so ingrained in every culture that exists in North America that we have to be able to talk about it on a more deeper and systemic level. And so there is so much more that we need to be talking about in terms of action. There's, there's so much action that needs to happen. So I think what we should do right now, though, is... Take us out to our three enlightened minutes. What do you think, Jay? I do think. I do think, yes. 
Uh, just just as a generality. Generally, yes, I do think. I do yes. think. Every once in a while, eh? Like <laughs> when I'm dropping logs and stuff, uh, I do some thinking. Yeah, so today for our three enlightened minutes. Or when I'm hung up by the fire and I'm thinking I want to have an eternity. I didn't understand a single thing you said. <laughs> Assumed. <laughs> so today for our three enlightened minutes, we have Dan Vigliatori, and he is a physical education teacher here in the Toronto Catholic District School Board, close to us. And he is also an instructional leader for York University. And today he is going to be talking about a a very interesting concept, something called educational resolutions. In specific, he's going to talk about introverted learners, which is something near and dear to our hearts In the gym. In the gym. In the gym, eh? That's right. So here is Dan Vigliatore with his three enlightened minutes. Hi, my name is Dan Villatore, and these are my three enlightened minutes. My name is Dan Villatore, and I'm a health and physical education teacher here in Toronto, Ontario, for the Toronto Catholic District School Board, and also an instructional leader with York University Professional Learning. And what I would like to discuss today is about self-reflection and what I call educational resolutions. So as like New Year's resolutions, which we all know, which we've all done, like exercising more in the new year or reading more in the new year or just anything new in the new year, we need to have educational resolutions where we reflect on what we've done and try to do something to make it better. So my educational resolution this year was to reach and address the introverted learner. Now, I didn't know that they were introverted learners. I just saw students that were not responding to, like everyone else in the class. Now, that being said, in a phys ed class, it's well known that it addresses more the extroverted style student, ones who are willing to participate and play with another partner or play in a group of students. So that's where it all started. I made my educational resolution. How did I start to try to address that problem? Well, I decided to do some research. So I read some articles and I read blogs and I went on the internet and I started to talk to those specific students even more to get to learn a little bit more person to person. Then I came across this book that really put a lot of sense into this whole resolution of mine. I'm going to plug it. It's called Quiet. And the author's name is Susan Cain. And it explained the spectrum between introversion and extroversion and everything in between and how we're all different learners. Well, there was my action plan. I started with self-reflection, I gathered some knowledge, and now it was time for implementation. So in phys ed, I've adopted a model-based practice approach to better address the different learners in my classroom. This educational resolution called for a personalized system for instruction, we'll call it PSI, where students take control and manage their own learning at their own pace. They set their own goals to master. 
I became more of a motivator. There were more like self-guided skill progression activities. This gave the more introverted student a chance to work individually and a chance to succeed. Now the benefits, what happened as a result was tenfold. Students that weren't participating as much were becoming more engaged and were having more fun. That increased their level of comfort in the class that ultimately led to fuller engagement in peer and group activities. Not only that, the PSI model freed up my time in the classroom. I was able to work more with students individually, allowing more formative assessment and feedback. And more importantly, building up even more relationships. And for those extroverted students, they happily accepted the model because they were constantly in competition mode with themselves. Now, this doesn't mean my classroom will always use this model, but it was a way to differentiate my practice to include another learning style. Who knew it would lead to so much growth for me? Who knew that my educational resolution and self-reflection would lead to reaching some of the students that I may have been missing? So, what's going to be your New Year's... Sorry, sorry, sorry. I mean, educational resolution this year. Now back to the gym guy, Che, and our Wonder Woman Pav. Never rub another man's rhubarb. Rhubarb. That's right. You heard me. I it's, love rhubarb. That's in just, a pie. Yeah, in a pie. But that's the the little clue to get the reference from the beginning. Somebody will, not me though. Rodrigo will. He already has it. He has them all the time, every time. <laughs> um, you know what? I was always told never say um. But yeah, I, just, I say um all the time. It's no, like, no, no. I said I was told. Yeah, I know. I've been told as well by you. Not to say, um, um, <laughs> uh, it's an indication that you're not quite sure what you want to say. Well, but also it's, it's, it's also the pause. So some people it's just ingrained in them. This is how they pause because silence is worse than saying, um, but I think that silence is actually better. Processing just be time. Have you not watched Captain Kirk? N- not as much as you, obviously. N- clearly there's lots of pauses that just the wrong moments but, but it know, makes you but when you pause that's my signal to jump in because that's the only chance i'm gonna get i give you never i never give you a signal but, to jump in but that's why when you pause that's when i'm like i'm jumping in and i have one woman i'm in i'm in i'm in uh dan thank you so much for that three enlightened minutes i could do a whole episode just reflecting on your three enlightened minutes the introverted athlete the introverted gym participant makes me think doesn't make me think i'm already thinking it reminds me of that and when i'm doing my gym activities i sort of modify games to allow the sort of the introverted learners to be a part of the activity but still remain sort of introverted and so um i can think of a few but i won't go into it right in the moment but i can also think of even when i set my gym up i set the stage up with a few isolated activities so i'll set up a hitting tee or a skipping area so if a student's not totally comfortable engaging in the the full-on group activity they can go on and still be athletic still work on their skill set up on the stage they can spike the volleyball into the the curtain they can work on the hitting tee so i being a gym guy 
love just addressing that introverted athlete and addressing the gym is a very extroverted sport or extroverted activity. So fantastic three in light minutes, a great contrast and great compliment to our episode today. I would definitely be an introverted learner or introverted uh, athlete in the, in the gym because I'm so, so quiet when it comes to being in, in a crowd setting and in a team setting. I'm just very focused on my in, individual skill. I know you're kind of like that too. You focus on a lot on your own skill in, in, in your sport and uh, in getting better at your own skill. I'm very much like that. And so sometimes it's difficult to be in a team situation when you're very introverted. I know I'm definitely like that. I've never been a very big team player and not because I don't want to be. Introverted. I'm introverted. I think if we were really open, we would find more people. Introverts try really hard to be extroverts and no extrovert ever tries or has to make efforts to be introverted to fit in. Yes. There's, and I've talked about this before, and and Dan, sorry, you've taken us off topic here as we come back <laughs> in three light minutes on that introverted learner, is that introverts feel an inherent pressure to be extroverted in order to display their successes. Yes. No extrovert is ever, well, I want to say no, but I do feel no. Uh, I don't want to be so extreme because I'm the gym guy. Um, I want to provide some grace. That very few extra, very few extroverts feel pressured to act introverted in order to display their skill set. I've brought this up in staff meetings many times. We are heavily biased towards the extroverted learner, and we push our introverts to be extroverts, and we never person extra. We never push an extrovert to be an introvert. No, that's right. But let's get back to our topic because Dan's topic was great. But the topic we are talking about is great. It's powerful. It's relevant. It's about we are ready to take action and um it's not that we weren't ready to take action but we've had obviously the atrocities down in the united states have reawakened us to what we need to do the dialogue the conversations the reading the studying uh, over the last week which will certainly continue but that coupled with seeing real seismic change in certain institutions in the united states just validates and makes us feel Good, I don't know if good is the right word, makes us feel that it is time for action. We're ready for action. And that might need readjusting and further discourse and further conversation and listening to podcasts and listening to research and and engaging with people. But we are seeing that action can make uh, seismic changes. And thus, when we come back to our teaching, it's great to have that gold nugget to bring to our kids and say, this has changed. This has happened just this week. I'm not referencing something that happened 30 years ago or 40 years ago. But then on the contrast, also realizing that my action is going to take time. There's going to be a grind. There's going to be work. But my feeling now is it's we're ready for action because we have all the anecdotal evidence to suggest that our action can make impact. We are indeed ready for action. And I don't mean that just as educators. Because educators are are often always ready for action. We're always ready to take what's happening in the world and bring it into our classrooms and and be able to educate our students on on different levels for sure. But I've spent a lot of time in the last few weeks talking to, uh, you know, friends and family, many of whom are not educators. And I think that the resounding thing that I'm seeing right now is everybody feels like they need a reawakening. Everybody feels like they need to do a little bit more learning, to be a little bit more in touch with what's been going on in the world and what's been going on in society and be able to 
start to take some sort of action. Everybody feels inclined. And, and this is a powerful thing because this doesn't happen a lot in our society when most people in the society feel like they are inclined to take some sort of action. Everybody feels compelled. And most, I would like to think that most of that uh, compulsion is, is genuine. And most of us feel like we, we need to take in, uh, that, that action because it's, it's lacking in our society. And so I think that that is necessary. And I think we need to embrace that and we need to take that and take that energy and push it forward and keep driving us to keep making those changes. And this is our time. This is our call to action as educators, as non-educators, as students, as, as administrators, as parents, as everybody involved in the system. This is our time to start taking an action. So I really enjoyed this conversation in, you know, reflecting. We've, we've had a long reflection period, but I think it was absolutely necessary to be able to push us forward into this, this next stage of, of what we are doing and starting to take action and looking at the steps to take action and taking the small wins that we have seen happening in our society, happening in the United States, happening in Canada, and take them and move forward with them into the next stage of action. Action is going to be something to really um, think about. What does action look like and how is it intentional and how is it purposeful? And so we'll dive a little bit more into this. To get us to the state of action, it's really unfortunate that it took um, the events that transpired, the events with George Floyd to reawaken us. You'd like to think we're better than that, but unfortunately, we're not necessarily better than that. We need those. I don't want to say need those. It's so unfortunate that these negative incidents, these atrocities is what triggers real action. And it also, you know, it, it makes me think of our statement, you know, inspire, don't require. You always want to inspire people with the positives. And, and they work, but then you just, you're just, oh, why did I need something like this to fire us all up? And it's not me finger waving at anyone, even myself included. How come I wasn't this constantly self-reflective of my practice? This is systemic racism. This is the system. It's so ingrained in our system that we are almost blind to it. And so sometimes it needs to be pointed out to us. So, you know, yes, we, we live by that motto, inspire, don't require, don't require change to be happening. But when it's so ingrained in our system, sometimes that is what we need to do. We need somebody to, to point, or we need an incident or we, we don't need it, but it's, it's something that triggers the, the action to start to happen. And, and I feel like this is what has happened in the past couple of weeks. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm mm -hmm. not saying that in a way that, you know, oh, well, we needed something to kickstart us because that's not the case. But, but people have become really immune to the, to the, even if you're doing good work, Yes. Even if you're doing good work, all of a sudden it, it's this unfortunate incident that reminds us good work, guess just isn't good enough. Right. If our society is failing, then our teaching's failing. Regardless yeah. of how good a job we are doing as a collective, as a whole, as a district, um, it's not good enough. No. Because yeah. the results weren't good enough. And as you know, when I often talk about what's the question I ask, is good learning going on in my room? Then don't ask about the, the other stuff. Yeah. But if my society is not functioning right, then I got to start asking questions. So if our society is going right and everyone's empowered and everyone feels included, then don't start micromanaging everything behind the scenes. But if it's not going right, 
then we need to start asking questions. We have work to do. Work to do. This has been a great chatter. Does it necessarily have endless truths to it? Probably not. No, Maybe. but it's a reflection. I think that's what's something that, you know, we are pretty good at at the Staff Room Podcast is reflecting and then to- trying to work through our conversation to figure out well, where the changes need to happen and what we're going to do next. Because teaching, like anything else, isn't just a snap of the finger, total change. We, we do have to work through things. We have to process things. And so, you know, last week's episode combined with this week's episode shows that trajectory, shows where we are a week later. And are there any great answers to be gr- to be taken from this episode? I don't know. But it's certainly a reflection that it's time for action. And this is why we as teachers are, are, are feeling this way. Because we also have our students tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We, that's right. We, it, it, there's something to take from this discussion that's going to impact our teaching. So for us, where, where does the podcast have value? For us internally, it has value because I know so many of you will give us such rich feedback. Not to say we're right, but just to comment on the on the content we delivered, which makes us rethink. And then obviously podcasting just refines our practice. It refines our thinking. This is our chance to reflect on so many amazing conversations we've had this week since last week's episode and since last week The Drive. We're talking on people on the phone, on Boxer, on uh, Twitter chats behind the uh, Twitter chats, and then Twitter messages behind the scenes, like so much conversation has been inspired and instigated and ignited. And this is where we are right now. Is this where we'll be next week? Maybe not. Maybe not. But maybe we'll still be here and we're still working and we're still processing. But, Pab, you know, I think what brings this uh, reflection authenticity is it's real time. Yeah. It's not necessarily the truths, the, but it might have some truism to it, might have some great points to it, but it's just teachers reflecting in the moment. And that's, that's its value. Absolutely. And, and you know, Che and I do not, we, we have a few points that we jot down on paper, but most of the conversation that we have on this microphone happens very genuinely. And, you know, Che will say something and it will, it will ignite something in me and I comment on that and then, and then, it, and we go back and forth and that's what conversation is all about. And this is what dialogue is all about. And this is how we bring about the issues that we need to discuss in order to bring about the change that happens next. This is staff room banter and this not is- the banter saying it's your turn to clean out the fridge. Well, it is your time. <laughs> There's a reason I go to staff room. I ain't taking no (laughs) responsibilities about fridge cleanup. Everyone, it has been an absolute pleasure that you have joined us. Uh, Always reach out on Twitter. Always engage on Twitter. Always provide feedback or questions on Twitter. We love the episode isn't the end of the conversation. It truly is the beginning of the conversation. Thank you for joining us today. We are Che and Pav of the Staff Room Podcast. Remember to inspire. Don't require. Always be a humble servant. And education never never dies. dies. You've been listening to the Staff Room Podcast with Che and Pav. Written, performed and produced by Che Cheney and Pav Wanda in association with School Rubric, an online magazine and website designed for international and global educators. You can stay connected with Che and Pav by visiting their Twitter and Instagram pages. And also, 
Check out the articles related to each episode on the School Rubric webpage. All links are provided in the episode write-up. The podcast is recorded weekly at their in-class studio and performed in front of a live studio audience. Be sure to join Che and Pav next week, because there's always something to talk about in the staff room.